Have you ever hated anybody? I mean, really hated somebody. And you're probably going, Bill, what a, what a horrible way to start your sermon. I mean, what you're supposed to do here, Bill, I don't know if you understand this, but what you're supposed to do is you're, you're supposed to like, you know, lead us into that just a little bit. Tell us a funny story, get us laughing, and then, and then get into the harder stuff. But I want to let you know that uh, this sermon just can't do that. So I'm going to ask you again, have you ever hated anybody? And, and I know for us, we even, in a sense, just cringe at even thinking that, right? I mean, we just go, hating somebody, that's, that's really strong. I mean, that's just super strong. Have you remember when you were a kid? And uh, you made the foolish mistake by making this statement. You're, you're with your mom, your dad, and all of a sudden you say, I hate, and you just fill in the blank. And immediately upon response, your mom and your dad say this, we don't hate anything or anyone. Remember that? Yeah, and it's, it's like if we, we committed the worst of all sins, okay? When we made that statement, we don't hate anyone or any, anything or anyone and, and that phrase just sort of echoes into our mind all of our lives, and, and we have it in the background. We don't hate anything, and we don't hate anyone, and then all of a sudden, life happens. We get hurt. Prejudices grow. Life experiences jade us. We become cynical, and all of a sudden, we wake up one day, and we realize that we really don't and we really hate something or someone. And we hide our hate with wonderful little phrases like, I really dislike them, or I'd rather just not be around them, or if they, they would be a if they would just be a better Christian then. And then we avoid, we ignore, we snub, and then one day we come to realize that we got a good old case of hate going on. In our country, we do a really good job of hating. We really do. Have you, have you watched the news lately? We do a really good job of hating. I mean, let's just go back just to even some recent past, like the Civil War. The Civil War, the North and the South fought each other, hated each other. And, and from the Civil War, actually, individual family feuds emerged out of the Civil War, like the Hatfields and the McCoys. And then when the immigrants came over, immigrants would come over, and then one, one group of immigrants hated another group of immigrants. The civil rights movement was based upon the fact that one group of people hated another group of people, and we still deal with racial animosity. I know this will surprise you, but Republicans hate Democrats. And Democrats hate Republicans. And everybody hates independence. <laughs> One religion hates another religion. 
Conservatives hate liberals, and liberals hate conservatives, and everybody hates moderates. And the list continues to go on and on and on because we do a really good job of hating each other in this country. And you might be wondering about this subject. You're wondering, Bill, what happened to you? Did, are you? do you have an ax to grind? Is there something going on? Did somebody like set you off this last week? And the answer to that is no. What happened this week was... Where it's just a look at the text that we're in out of Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 is why we're talking about dealing with animosity and hatred for others. And here's the point. If we're going to have this out-of-this-world life, then we're going to have to be people of peace. And that's what, that's what Paul is calling us, us to today. I, I want to just take a look here a little bit at the history of hatred Uh, We don't know exactly when the Jews and the Gentiles started hating each other. We're not real sure when that happened. I mean, there's some indications and people have speculated. One speculation is, is that it actually goes even back to the beginning of time when you had the two seed lines, when you have Cain and then you have Seth, and out of those seed lines was this animosity that came. Or, or maybe it was when we had the divided kingdom between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And we, we know some animosity came from that point in time. But here's all we know is by the time that the New Testament was written, there was this huge divide. There was this hatred. There was this hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. And what had happened was this. That hatred... That cultural hatred had worked its way into the body of Christ. Into the body of Christ. And that's why Paul, when he penned his letter to the the church at Ephesus, he had to deal with this, this animosity and this hatred between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. To the Jews, all non Jews were considered unclean people. Jews could have no dealings with Gentiles. I remember, remember the story in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius. And as soon as he walks in, he says this to Cornelius. You are aware that it is unlawful, it is against our law, for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. How would you like that to have to be your greeting? And then what's really amazing is this. In Acts chapter 11, Peter goes back to Jerusalem and is sharing with him about what had happened in the house of Cornelius. And they're upset, not because of the gospel being shared. They're upset that Peter would actually eat with an uncircumcised person. Notice the quote that is found in one of the Jewish tracts. It says this. Even the best of Gentiles should be killed. Wow. Now, the hatred didn't just go one way. It went both ways. You need to understand the Jews hated the Gentiles, but the Gentiles hated the Jews. And here's what it says. The Gentiles said this about them. They're enemies of the human race. They're filled with a hostile disposition towards all people. Last week... 
when Matt dealt with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he dealt with what I would call the vertical relationship. This is when we found out that we were all sinners, we were dead in our sins, but because of God's great love, his great mercy, his great grace, he saved us and made us right through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's that vertical relationship. But Paul's not done here. And what he's going to do starting in verse 11 is, he's going to deal, he's going to say this, since I've dealt with the vertical, there is implications for the horizontal. Since you're saved vertically, I want to let you know that horizontally there's an impact that goes on here. There's a horizontal impact, and that's what starts this Ephesians chapter 2, 11, verse 22. And Paul understood that if these Christians were going to exist in the heavenly realms, if they were going to have this out-of-this-world life, they could not hate each other. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, turn wherever you find Bible, turn there, and let's read this text. We're going to read... Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, and it says this, Therefore, now again, that ties that to that verse 1 through 10 here. Because Jesus has done all this in your life, this vertical stuff, I want to talk to you about horizontal stuff right now. The horizontal goes something like this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise without hope, without God in this world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the one to one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing his flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility." He came and he preached peace to who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Have you, did you notice the two texts there? They're very, very similar. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and then you look at Ephesians chapter 11, uh, 2, 11 through 13, they're very, very similar. They, they both talk about lostness. They, don't, they, they both talk about the lostness, of our lostness in 2, 1 through 3, and the lostness of the Gentiles. Notice what it says about them. They're separated from Christ. They're excluded from the citizenship. They're foreigners uh, of the covenant of promise without hope, without God in this world. 
But notice the similar conditions brought back. Notice 2-3 where it says this, 2-4. But because of his great love for us, God, and it goes on to save us. And then in verse 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, who were far away, have been brought near. Now, I, I don't know what's going on here. I, I, I just don't know. I don't know whether Paul is writing this to the Jews to tell them, to remind them that the Gentiles are saved. And I don't know if, if Paul is writing to the Gentiles to let them know how special they are in spite of the fact that maybe there's some hatred by the Jews. I just don't know what the case is there, but I do know this. Both groups, Jews and Gentiles, have been saved by the grace of God. And because they've been saved by the grace of God, they, need to, they have this out-of-this-world peace, and there needs to be this out-of-this-world peace between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And so the question comes like this. Paul, what principles are you going to share with this group of people that will literally, that will literally ease generations and centuries, hundreds of years of hatred and animosity towards each other? Paul, what are you going to say to these people to knock down this dividing wall that's been separating the both of them. And I think Paul lays out some important principles to deal with the animosity and the hate. And, and here's where I want to go with this. I want us to look at these principles. And I want to take these principles and I want to, from the text, and I want them to be applied to our lives. Because as much as we don't want to admit this, we hate. We hold animosity. We struggle with that. I struggle with that. And so I want to learn from Paul, I want to learn from this text what I could do, what we could do to tear down this animosity and this hatred. And the first thing Paul will say is this, Jesus is the essence of peace. If we're going to be people of peace in this, have this out of this world peace, then we need to understand that Jesus is the essence of peace. And, and so you're going, well, what do you mean by that, Bill? Uh, here's what I mean. Have you noticed the way peace is sort of sprinkled throughout this text? Look at verse 14. It says, Jesus himself is our peace. Now, I love this next verse. Look at verse 15. Jesus is the one who's making peace. And then finally is this. Jesus is preaching a message of peace to those who are far and those who are near. And so when I was doing my study, I decided, okay, so what does he mean by this peace? I mean, there's a lot of different definitions. There's a lot of different words when it comes to peace. And, and here's some definitions that Paul, I believe, is calling upon when he says that Jesus is the essence of peace, it means this. It, it means to join or bind together. It means also this. It's the idea and the concept of, of joining that which was separate into one. It means harmony. It means freedom of disturbance. It is the exact opposite of dissension and division. It's the exact opposite of division 
and dissension. And so, but how do I apply that? I mean, what do I do with that, Bill? That Jesus is the essence of peace. Thanks for the definitions, but how does the, how does the fact that Jesus is the essence of peace, peace help me as a person of peace? And, and I would call us to, to three questions. The first one is this. Do I and do you have a reputation of being a person of peace? What is our reputation? What's your reputation? Are, are you known as a person of peace or are you more known as a person who's angry and divisive? And, and the way to check this is this, is, is, is to find somebody who really loves you Loves you enough to tell you the truth. All right, those are rare people, right? You find somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth, and you sit down with them, and you, and you have them look at you, and you say, am I a peaceful person, or am I a divisive person? And you let them respond to you. The second is this. As you think about, as we think about all of our relationships, all of our relationships... Is the movement and direction of all of my relationships towards peace? As I look at the totality of all the relationships and how they're moving, I know that some of once in a while there's outliners, right, Josh? There's outliners there that we struggle getting along with somebody. But overall, overall, as you look at all of my relationships, is that movement towards peace? And then finally is this. When I act... When I act, is, is it a custom for me to act in peace? Listen to these two verses here. Romans chapter 14 and verse 9. Let us therefore make every effort to, lead, to, to do what leads to peace and mutual, mutual edification. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy because without holiness no one will see the Lord. Since Jesus is the essence of peace, let us be people of peace. Number two is this. Let's not build walls Jesus tore down. I'm going to say that again. Let's not build walls where Jesus tore down. To be people of peace... This out-of-this-world peace, there's times when we need to tear down and not build up. And I know that sounds strange. But I want you to know, look at 2.14 for just a second. In 2.14, Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, destroying the barrier, the uh, wall, dividing wall of hostility. Now I want to let you know that when Paul wrote that, Jew and Gentile alike understood exactly what he was talking about. It's a very historical frame of reference. It's drawing this very graphic picture, and here's the picture of it. This is the temple, and you're going to notice there is this wall there, Soric, and it wasn't a very, it wasn't a very tall wall. It was only about that big. It, was only, it wasn't a very tall wall, but it was a wall that separated it was a wall that separated the Gentiles from the Jews. The Gentiles could not go into the inner temple. 
Only the Jews could do that. The, the Gentiles had to stay outside of the wall. In 1871, they were doing a uh, sort of a excavation of the temple site, and they found on one of the pillars. And this is the notice that was on the pillars on that wall, and it was written in three languages. Notice what it says is this. No man of another nation to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple. And whoever is caught with will have himself to blame that his death ensues. Wow. You cross this wall and you're not a Jew, you're dead. But the sacrificial, of Je- uh, the sacrificial death of Jesus tore down all barriers. It tore down the wall. It tore down the curtain. It tore down until we get to the Holy of Holies, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. And anything that represented hostility to the Jews, I mean Gentiles, Jesus tore down. A lot of times, though, when we talk about our Christian walk, we're used to a certain type of language. And the type of language that we're used to is the idea of adding. Of adding, right? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and goodness. You see, we're used to this. We're used to doing this. Adding, adding to our faith. How about this? 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 and 5, it talks about being built up into a spiritual house. And we're used to that. We're used to these bricks And we're being built up into this beautiful house of God. Ephesians chapter 2 ends this. Ephesians 2 ends with the idea of being built or becoming a dwelling place of God. But I want to let you know there are times when it's not right for us to build but to tear down. Did you hear me? There are times when it's not right to build but to tear down. And I know that sounds really weird for us because we're always told to build, but there are times when it's important for us to tear down. And we're supposed to tear down when it comes to hostility and hatred towards anybody. You see, that's what Jesus did. When, when you have that passage of Scripture in 2.14 on, you have this idea of Jesus coming in and he's doing this. He's tearing down the wall. He's tearing down the wall. So that we could be people of peace and we could live in a kingdom of peace. And and, and so there's times, it's so important, there's times for us when it's not, we should not be in the building business when it comes to hatred and hostility. You should have heard the way they spoke to me. They were rude. They were mean. And you know what? It just made me really, really mad. Another brick. You know, they hurt my feelings, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to be sarcastic. Or you know what? I just don't like them. 
And I think I'm just going to do a Christian loving ignoring. <laughs> That's an oxymoron, right? I'm just going to I'm just going to do I'm just going to do a little blah of that loving Christian ignoring cuz I just don't like them. Jesus told us that we have to love them but we sure don't like them. And Jesus is going tear down the wall. Tear down the wall. There are times when it's not right to build. And you know what happens, and, and this is the beautiful part about this. Look at 2.18 for just a second, what this meant. And, and again, you've got to understand when Paul's writing this, it, what, they were capturing all of this. Notice the verse 2.18, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I'm going to let you know what, now did you see who it was written to? Both of them, both of them, both Jewish Christians and, and, and Gentile Christians. And here's what he was saying to them. I want to let you know that Jesus, because of his, his sacrifice, came in. And he just didn't destroy that outside wall, the Soric. He didn't just destroy that one wall of separation. I want to let you know is this. He destroyed the inner walls of the temple. And he destroyed the holy place. And he destroyed the, the, the separation even to the holy of holies. So that all of us, both Jew and Gentile, could go all the way into the very presence of, of God. And that's what he did. And that's why, here's the thing is, we are not in the building business. We're in the tearing down business. Finally is this, well, Paul, what can you tell us? And here's what he's going to say is this. We live in the same country and we live in the same house. He's going to come back to two of these powerful metaphors and he's going to use them to illustrate how important it is to be people of peace and to have this out of this world peace. And the first one is this. He says, we live in the same country. We're no longer foreigners and aliens. Now, if you'll remember how the scripture started, right? He says that, he says that you know, you're, you were... To the Gentiles, he says that you are uh, not a part of the household of Israel. You're excluded from the citizenship of Israel. And then all of a sudden at the end here, you know what he says? We're all part of the same country. We all share in the same kingdom of rights. We all share in the privileges of citizenship. We all come and we enjoy this and we are welcomed into the reign and realm of God. And I think it's so important for us is this, is since we all live in the same country, how could we treat each other with hatred and hostility? It's impossible. Because we've got to remember this truth. Listen, and I love this. Thanks, Zane. Is this. It is not my country. And it is not your country. It is his country. Isn't that right? 
This is not my country, and it ain't your country. It's his country. And he determines who citizens are. Not only do we live in the same country, but live in the same house. And I love the way Paul ends this. It's so beautiful. To be people of peace, we live in the same house together. We're members of God's household. And i got to let you know, this house is unbelievable. You know how you go, and have you ever bought a house and the realtor, we got several realtors around here, all right? You walk into the house and they're showing you all the features. Well, look at this. There's a hot tub, which you'll have to take, spend lots of money on to make sure it runs right. <laughs> no, I mean, they're showing you the features. They're going, and look at this. Look at the closet room in this place. I'm going to let you know. The house of God is so much beyond all of that. Listen to this. The house of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Have you ever noticed a house that doesn't have a good foundation? Maybe your house doesn't have a good foundation. It's not good. But I want to let you know the house of God, the habitation of God, is built on the foundation of centuries of the apostles' words and the prophetic word. Isn't that beautiful? And not only is it built on the foundation of that, guess what the cornerstone is? The cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. And the cornerstone is the thing that determines the shape of the house. The cornerstone is the thing that talks about its stability and direction and the principle of growth. Now here's what's also beautiful about this house. It is not static. Now let me illustrate, what I'm, let me tell you what I mean by that is this. When we look at our homes they are, in reality, finite structures. I mean, let's think about it. Okay, you may redo the bathroom. You may redo the kitchen. But basically, your house stays the same. You might do a little adding, but it's basically, it's a finite structure. But I want to let you know, the house of God is anything but finite. The house of God is not static. And you know what Paul does in here? That Paul comes in and he says, we are being built up and fitted together. Now watch how he plays this, right? Did you see how he did this? It's, it's just marvelous. He first tells us to be tear down the walls of hatred, right? And then he comes back at the end and he says, now I want you to know, once you tore down the, the, the wall of hostility, I could start building now. Isn't that cool the way he does that? We are being built up and fitted together. Paul comes in and he goes, all right, now that you've tore down the wall of hatred, here's what I could start doing with you now. Isn't that cool how he uses that? Isn't that cool how he does that? But remember why he's saying all this. He's saying this so that we could be an edifice, a building, the house of God, so that we could live at peace with each other. And, and the point is this. How could I hate? How could I have animosity for, for other people as if we live in the same house and we're a part of the same country? It's impossible. And so today, and so today, here's, here's what we pull out. We pull out this. 
is the good news. The good news is this. We don't have to live in hostility and hate. Because Jesus is the essence of peace. That we're not going to build on what Jesus has already tore down. And we live in the same country. And we live in the same house. And so today, the invitation is simple, but it's, 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 it's important. The first one is this, is if you're not in Christ, you are not at peace with God. And, and I don't mean that to be mean or, or, or harsh, but that's just the reality. There's this animosity there. But today, Jesus has made a way for you to have peace with God. And you could have be, peace with God by being baptized into Jesus Christ by faith for the remission of your sins. But here's the other one is this. If you're like me, and you've been struggling, let me just say it, with a hateful heart, and you're ready to get rid of that, then we're here to pray with you today. We have elders up here who will pray with you. We have the parlor over there. They could pray with you. But here's the thing is this. We are going to be people of peace so that we could enjoy a life beyond this world as we stand and as we sing.